AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Matt, I understand there's been some interesting developments with automobile key cloning. Yeah, this is pretty neat. Um, or terribly scary, depending on uh, whether or not you own one of these models. Uh, so some researchers at two universities, one in Belgium, one in the UK, worked together to do some research on uh, car immobilizers. Now, this is not the same as the like the keyless entry systems. This is the, the part of the car that restricts whether or not you can start the engine and drive the car off. And it is controlled by um, the same sort of key. Like when you sit down in a lot of these keyless cars these days, you'll instead of like putting a, a blade into the, and turning it, you may just have a button, something like that. But this is the electronics around the immobilizer portion of that that key. Like this, like this key. Like, oh, well, like that key actually, yeah. So what they had found is there are, there are some cryptographic flaws in some of these common keys. And this affects uh, Kia, Toyota, uh, Hyundai, and also Tesla. Although Tesla has been able to patch this. They were notified ahead of time and they have the ability to update their software remotely, so they did. So kudos to them. Um, so this is a couple different findings that they have against these keys. Um, for example, the, the crypto key that gets exchanged um, on the Toyotas is actually based on the serial number. So if you find that serial number, you can derive the key. But they also transmit the serial number during a different part of the communication, which means anytime you're near one of those keys, if you've got a radio that can receive it, you can generate a valid key. So, okay, that's a problem. Uh, Kia and Hyundai didn't have that problem, but what they had was they're not using the entire key space. They're using 24 bits of randomness instead of 80. That's uh, pr uh, promoted by this uh, DST80 standard that all of these keys seem to use. So they talk, the, the paper itself is very in-depth. It's like 120 something pages worth of research. And they, I have not read all of it, but I started getting into it. They talked about how they bought the immobilizers on eBay, started trying to pull the firmware off of them and reverse engineer the algorithms. And they did a pretty cool job of it. Um, so ultimately this is not the same as one of those relay attacks you may have heard of. So let's put that in a separate box right now. So the relay attacks you've probably heard of are if you want to get into your car, you know, you're, if you're close enough where you put your hand on the handle of modern cars, your key will say you're, you're close enough, open the door. Um, and some people have figured out ways to rebroadcast that short range signal um, so that if, you know, if you're in your house and the key is sitting on the, on the shelf somewhere, they can still get that signal to the car and open the door. Uh, this is not that. This is a separate thing that requires you to actually go close to the person who has the key in their possession and use one of the Proxmark readers. So if you've ever worked with RFID card systems, Proxmark is kind of like the gold standard device for testing. Um, you need one of those. You need to be able to get the data off of the key at short range um, to do this. So it is much harder in order to pull this off, um, but still effective. Uh, and that's that NFC. Is, I'm, I'm guessing it's NFC. So it, yeah, you had to be pretty darn close. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, NFC is definitely it's a data standard on RFID. I'm not positive that it is NFC, and I'd love to go back and look at what it actually is. Uh, but it is a short-range radio system of some kind. Um, Oh, no, and specifically, it's this DST80 protocol that's in, in use. So I, I know I have to do a little more research to fully understand every aspect of it, um, but I think it's fantastically interesting stuff. Um, the part that's probably the biggest problem is that Toyota, Kia, and Hyundai don't have ways to fix this right away. Like Tesla, because they've already got a software upgrade path for all their cars, you just got to make a few changes. 
you can report, you know, so they've already got it fixed in the, the Model S. But these other guys, there's no easy way to get an update and you may have to go to the dealership, have them either up, reprogram your immobilizer there, possibly replace the immobilizer and the corresponding key. Um, it's gonna be interesting. I'd like to see if there's actually going to be a recall for this or not. Or not. Yeah. And so it's the immobilizer, like you were saying, so, so they still have to, I guess, take screwdriver or otherwise hotwire the car to yeah. turn the Okay, Okay. that's what I was wondering, if it still required that, that physical aspect. Yep, and they, uh, they address that in the paper, and they say, basically, if you've got a screwdriver at that point, you, you could probably figure out how to get the rest of it done. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, what did you think? That's kind of scary. I mean, you just think about, you know, first, it, it, it speaks to the, you know, the guy, you know, if you're walking around, the guy behind you with some kind of a reader is <laughs> trying to find your keys. It speaks to that, you know, the concern, but it also just talks about how much, you know, we're, I think, you know, reliant upon all this communication just to even start our cars nowadays and, and how people around that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of very convenient features that have been added to modern cars, like the things we're talking about, all these, all the remote features of a key that allow you to open the door without putting in a key blade, start the car without actually, you know, putting a key into that. But it all comes with these other, it, it's you're opening up a, a digital attack surface where previously all you had was a physical key, you know. It's, I have to say I enjoy those features on my car, but um, I do worry about them. They do kind of keep me up at night, yeah. You can't live without them. Yeah, I mean, here's a good question though. You know, how many cars actually have the d ability to disable those? If I wanted to go key only, or I wanted to turn off one aspect and not the other, how many of them actually have that? For the paranoid among us. That's interesting to think about. Like you said, if you, if you really didn't, if you didn't, you know, I could say you said I don't I don't want the immobilizer, you know, or I don't want the keyless entry. You know, so you have to wonder if that's a a software setting that we maybe we'll have at some point. Yeah, I I'd like to see that happen. I'm, I'm I would consider buying a car with those with those options. So if you're someone who's you know not leaving your keys around strange places that you go, you'll probably be all right. This might be a good reason to leave your keys in a in a hotel room safe when you're not using them or not you know, leave them out at a party or something like that or on your desk at work. It's sort of up to your own threat model, I think. So John, there's been a, a jailbreaking scene for a long time and it was always a matter of taking your phone home, plugging it into your machine and doing something with the software from a, a desktop or a laptop. But now it seems like the, the power to jailbreak is now very portable. Can you tell us a little more? Yeah, sure. And, and, and I want to preface all of this discussion by Rooting and jailbreaking are never a good idea. <laughs> start start with that. But, but there are a certain you know community of people who think that you know that they can do a lot more functionality or have more features if they jailbreak or root their device. But like you said, Matt, it, it's always been this kind of a limited control, a limited ability to do it. You have to have the phone, have a computer, have all that software. And you know, and and the the big vendors, the Googles, the the, uh, you know, the apples are trying to prevent people from jailbreaking. So it's, it's a constant battle. Um, but one of the recent tools to jailbreak an Apple phone is a tool called uh, um, CheckRain, which is fairly new. It, it's a, a boot ROM vulnerability that they kind of work around. And the, uh, you know, the, 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 the interesting thing about the jailbreak on the Apple there is that it doesn't persist. So as soon as you reboot the phone, Update it operating system wise. You have to re you have to re jailbreak it. 
like I said, it's always been one of those things you have to take that phone and then turn around and, you know, find the computer with the software and, you know, actually execute that jailbreak and then, you know, maybe redo it a couple more times every time you restart. The CheckRain program is kind of neat in that they ported it to Linux, and the challenge there is once you port it to Linux, of course, Android is a Linux kernel. And so if you root a Google or, you know, or any other kind of Android phone, now you've rooted that phone, and there are a lot of tools to root Android phones, you can turn around and load CheckRain on your Android phone. It's Linux. Linux is Linux. And so what they've actually been able to accomplish by this is that if you have an Android phone that's rooted and you load CheckRain on it, then you cable it up over to your Apple iPhone, you can now use that CheckRain uh, jailbreak on that Apple phone. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I guess technically this was always feasible. Maybe someone finally discovered that maybe this was a good idea, especially given how often with uh, the non-persistent root method, you would have to actually keep doing this over the cable. They're just like, well, I'm just going to put it on my phone. And they probably realized how smart of an idea that was. Um, but yeah, that's interesting too, because I mean, this is a little, if you, if you were an attacker and you wanted to gain privileges to somebody else's phone, um, isn't this kind of a, a more portable, more effective way of using this attack? And that's exactly what that worries me more than anything else is that, you know, there's always, you know, you have the whole, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I lose my phone or I'm not keeping an eye on where my phone's at. You know, we, we all live with our phones, but sometimes they get out of our presence. You know, there's always that concern that maybe it goes over to somebody else's computer, somebody else's got a you know, laptop or something else. That now all they have to do is have themselves have a phone. And so you've, you've added that, like you said, that portability factor to, to the jailbreaking that can occur. Mm. So, I mean, is there anything that can be done at this point? Is there a way to fix, uh, a, defend against CheckRain at least, whether it's on one platform or the other? Right now, right now there's not. I mean, other than just, you know, due diligence. Uh, I would expect, and this is just John being, you know, opening his crystal ball, is that whatever was allowed CheckRain to, to work, that boot ROM uh, issue, is going to get fixed in the next version, or at least prevented the next version of Apple iOS, which means those guys will have to figure out another way to do it. Um, that iOS version 14 is probably going to come out next couple months. Again, this is me, my crystal ball, no, no inside information here. Um, and so when that happens, then this sh should be you know, resolved. But it, it speaks to that whole question, right? You know, don't let your phone out of your sight and keep your devices updated and, and you're not you're not you know so but that community that wants to jailbreak it this is still a tool that they might be able to use you know what this reminds me a little bit of um was uh george hotz's work with the playstation 3 remember he managed yeah. to jailbreak that and he was also an iphone hacker at one point um but ultimately the attack that he developed for that was made into like a portable thumb drive you could just plug into a playstation 3 and and own that thing I'm surprised we haven't seen more like custom thumb drives or custom USB devices or custom lightning devices for, for iPhone. Like, I guess that, that's the, the next logical step in my mind is, is a much more portable, like smaller than pocket sized device with all these different attacks on it. Think, think, of, think of Linux on a stick. We already have that technology, right? So, so yeah, what's, what's, like you said, the progression might be just to take that stick and put a lightning, and, and Apple's probably moving away from lightning anyway just, you know, the USB 
you know, C or whatever they're going to use and just have that port on it. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Yeah, well, that's the business, I guess. Yeah. Physical access is still required in order for someone to use this as an attack against your handset. So, you know, again, the same way that we would recommend you not leave your phone around strange places, just keep an eye on it. If someone decides to plug their phone into your phone for any reason, probably tell them no. But other than that, it's, it's not going to require any major changes in behavior for most people. All right, John, it looks like today it's you versus me on the famous Markway quiz. Bring it. That means, that means you can't get anybody to help you, I think, Matt, more than anything else. Do I get to phone a friend? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. okay. These, these, are, these are all kind of on the, the malware side of things, so maybe a, you know, a little bit familiar to you. Mm, all right. So they're, but they're kind of tr a little, maybe a little tricky. So, so the, the first question is about uh, malware variants, and, it's, and basically it's one of those hard questions about what's not. You know, what, which one of these lists does not belong? All right. So which of these is not a named malware variant? And, of course, this is a yes. So this is the not. Joker, sorbet, haken or hacken, and bread. There's only one of them. It's not doesn't fit. Joker, sorbet, hacken, and bread. Wow, this is tough. Um, I'm. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go with bread. You're 0 for 1. Ah, uh, all right. So what are, we, what are we looking at here? What are these? So, so Joker and Hacken are, are both the same thing, really. So Hacken is another name for bread. And bread is, is another variant of that, that kind of malware family. It's another malware family variant. So Sorbet is the one that, as far as I know, has not been used as a name of a malware. All right. So like I said, it's a little tricky. And, uh, but it was but that was a good, good, good try. But I, I thought bread wasn't real either until I started looking it up. Because, you know, make these quizzes, you think of, of what answers to put. And then say, oh, bread, I'll put bread. It's like, oh, wait, that's right. <laughs> Serious one. <laughs> All right, so you ready for question two? Very ready. This, this, this one might be easier for you. Which, which of the following, and there's more than one answer, are variants of Mirai? Or you can even pick you know, the ones that don't belong. Okay. So the, the, the choices are Satori. Speak up, OMG, and Wicked. I know Satori is a variant of Mirai. Um, what was the last? I'll give you the one. One of that list does not belong. One of that list does not belong. So you said Speak Up, OMG, and, and Wicked. Wicked. I would have to say Speak Up is not a variant of Mirai. Ding, ding, ding. Yay. <laughs> You're right. Cool. Yeah, the, the, other, the other ones are definitely variants of Mirai. And, uh, in fact, uh, OMG and Wicked both have uh, a pretty good following, I think, in the, <laughs> in the Mirai world. Right. Okay, question three. This, this, this one will test your little historical knowledge. All right. So what was the first ransomware to accept payments in Bitcoin? And your options are WannaCry, Bad Rabbit, Thanatos, and Petya. 
And th- those are all legitimate ransomware. There's no trick. Mm-hmm. There's no trick here. But it's the question is which which was the first to do Bitcoin? It's got to be either Thanatos or Bad Rabbit. I'm gonna go with. Mm, gonna go with Bad Rabbit. Oh, you should pick the other yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it was Thanatos. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was the first one. I mean, all the rest of them are now are you know certainly migrated to allow you know Bitcoin and Bitcoin's the the choice in a lot of cases, but uh, Thanatos was the very first. To, to, to allow Bitcoin. All right. This was these were hard questions, and but it's it's interesting from a historical perspective, you know, just to research, you know, where some of this stuff came from, just so you know we know, you know, where it's going. All right. Well, I uh, I submit to your superior knowledge, and thank you for the quiz. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, Matt. This week's Mark Week quiz was difficult. It was probably the hardest one that I've had to play so far. I was glad I got at least one of them right. Uh, and I feel like I have to go brush up on my malware history and, and naming. But yeah, I look forward to the next one so I can, so can kind of redeem myself. All right, John, we're gonna take a look at this week's internet weather. So the top 10 most probed ports as of March 9th, which is yesterday. Um, interestingly, we have a, a major change in the most probed ports. Port 443 TCP, which is HTTPS, has jumped up eight spots from number nine. So. We'll be taking a close look at that one for sure. But otherwise, not a whole lot of movement this week. Um, looks like everything else is sort of just bumped down either one slot or two. Uh, 23TCP is Telnet, that's in second place. 80ICMP is Ping in third. 1433 is MS SQL Server in fourth. 445 is SMB Server in fifth. Uh, and 80TCP is just plain old web, sixth place, followed by 22TCP, which is SSH. 3389 is Remote Desktop Protocol in 8th place. Ninth place is 81TCP, which is an alternate web port we see a lot with um, IoT stuff. And 5555 is... I was hoping you'd be able to fill it in, John, but... Uh, I wish I knew. It seems like just a, a random port, <laughs> but I don't, cause I don't know. 5555 is Android Debug Bridge. So if you've... Oh. If you've yeah. It's, it's not just a thing you can plug into your laptop, you know, kind of in the, the vein of what we were talking about with the previous story. Uh, there is an internet port for it, so uh, some people do leave it open. Why? I don't know. Yeah, I think that there, I, now that you say that, I think that there is a, a particular OEM, not in the United States, but overseas, that, that was guilty of doing that a lot. And I've heard that people will jailbreak certain Android devices like the, the Fire TV sticks and things like that, and leave that port open for as part of the process of breaking into that, and never close it again. So, so anyway, moving on to the most sources probing. Um, again, not too many changes this week. Not a bunch of uh, new faces on the list either. So the only differences we're seeing here is 8080 TCP in fifth place. It was not on the previous list. That's another web port. Um, and 00ICMP is Echo Reply, whereas uh, 80ICMP uh, is Echo Request. So we'll move on now to the most interesting character on the list today, uh, port 443TCP, HTTPS, uh, in the last day or two has started to really kick up, um, going from somewhere around a couple, um, well, let's say the peak right now is is two times 10 to, the, 10 to the ninth power. So out of nowhere, there's a whole bunch more traffic for this port, which honestly by itself usually gets a lot of attention. I mean, there's plenty of services running 
on 443 that are worth scanning for. So there's about 200 different sources, source IPs behind this, primarily out of a couple different AS numbers in Iraq. What they're searching for, I don't know. We don't really have uh, any traffic to any of the hosts that we would normally check on. Like, th that's the thing about HTTPS. Like, even if you had that traffic from a side view, you'd never know what, what it's trying to do. You'd have to be the server to understand what the request is. So, so what's up, right? What is this? Now, well, I saw, saw tar targets unknown. That's, that's, the, that's the question. Is there a particular target or targeted component, you know, that they're, they're looking at? So I, I fully expect that we'll see other people noticing this in the next day or so. Um, might have some, some better vantage point to it and understand it. But this is kind of a, a, big, a big deal. Um, the only other report that I thought was kind of interesting this week, we did have a spike on a 9530 TCP. And you can see that on the far right of the chart. Um, this is not the start of scanning for it. In fact, this actually kicked up back in February, um, mostly because somebody on Haber.com posted about uh, a backdoor that Zhang Mai left in their IoT devices on this particular port. And uh, you can kind of see that the, the thing was posted on February 4th. We saw the first major spikes on the 5th, and since then it's been fairly busy. Uh, the sources as of the, the spike that we had the other day were Vietnam and Taiwan, um, but I fully expect that this is the sort of thing that'll just keep attracting the attention of people trying to build out IoT botnets for forever, basically, or, or until Zhang Mai manages to get all these things patched. And my expectation is, you know, because it's an IoT device, there will always be some of them out there in the world that are never going to get patched. I think, I think Zhang Mai, if I remember right, do a lot of video cameras. That is correct. They, they do do webcams, uh, internet-connected uh, webcams. But that's it. It's a short internet weather this week. So thank you for going on this journey with me. This week's internet weather had one very notable port, 443, which you kind of think of as a regular uh, HTTPS port. Doesn't seem to make waves all that often. And suddenly it's shot up to the top of the list in terms of scan flows. So I'd love to know why people are looking for this port. I'm not aware of any you know, groundbreaking vulnerabilities there. I'd like to see if anybody else has any more information about it. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.